Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Team Objection Podcast for May 30th, 2023, episode 577. It is just me and Dave because Sean has an electric car and it can only drive 400 feet at a time. That's his problem is there's no way that that should happen. You need a better electric car, sir. Well, those are fighting words. I will admit that's like the main thing that gives me pause about getting an electric vehicle. Now, granted, one of the nicest things you can do is have a multi-vehicle household so that you can, you know, hedge. When you're driving within the city, you use the electric because I still, it'd be fine up here. Flagstaff's tiny, like no problem, easy. But then it's like, if I want to drive more than a couple hours, then what? I, uh, I haven't said this in the show. That was a big reason I actually got, ended up getting a Tesla instead of any other electric vehicle because of the network of superchargers they have and how easy it is to access. So it helps. Like I can charge the entire battery in like a half hour. Yeah. So it's really helpful. I mean, it makes sense. And I know, you know, infrastructure is improving. You know, year by year, we're getting more and more charging stations installed at more and more places. We've seen them scattered throughout Flagstaff. It's getting better, but I don't know if I'm quite ready to take the plunge yet. I'll be looking to get a new vehicle probably in the next year or so, but I don't know if it's going to be that. Maybe a hybrid. We'll see. It's uh. Depends on how much you drive, honestly, because if you only drive like, like me, I drive like 50 miles a day round trip. So it makes sense. But if you only drive, you know, five, 10 miles a day or something like that, it's not that big of a difference. I don't think it's not going to save you that much money going electric. And there is the little thing that you just can't get over of the idea of like, well, filling up a gas tank takes about five minutes. Filling up a battery, no matter how powerful the charger is, takes time. It's just how batteries work. You, yeah. I don't know the way around that. Now, the problem, I suppose, is that I drive 10, 15 minutes or two hours to Phoenix. There's really no in-between. Mm-hmm. I don't have – there's no lengthy drives up here. I guess occasionally I go to Williams, and it's a little more likely now that my brother's there. But, like, in general, I'm not making 30, 45-minute trips. They're all nothing or something. <laughs> yeah, my life is revolving around nothing but 30 to 45-minute trips. So there we go. That's why I have the car I do, even though it was pricey. But it was uh, – so far, it's been worth it. I honestly had thought something that on my uh, that tracks your charging. It says I've saved four hundred and twenty dollars this month in gas, and I'm like, okay, this might be worth it. That's a nice vehicle, you know. Fuck Elon Musk, but the car is great, <laughs> and I was in it a little bit when we were down in Phoenix, and you know, Dave drove us around a bit so we could see it, and you know, the cameras are phenomenal, and some of the features are great, except for the one that makes the farting noise, which is on brand for Elon's humor. Um, you know, in general, it seems like a really nice vehicle, and I, I, I'm glad you got one because you've been kind of wanting one for a while, and it's cool that you finally do. But I'm still kind of like, I don't know. 
It is. Uh, it depends on your situation whether it's worth it. So, uh, I, I will say it is on brand for Elon Musk's humor. And also, like I told you at that moment, there is a non-zero number out here of people that purchased that vehicle solely for that reason, or it was like the final determining factor. And it may be a low number, but it's still a number, and it's kind of depressing. But it's not. But it makes sense in a way. <laughs> yeah. So the the title of the episode sort of lends itself to what we're doing. That would be the hope, right? In general, what would be, if I named it like Purple Monkeys and we didn't talk about Purple Monkeys, that would be pretty stupid. We're not in the clickbait business. Uh, but all the stuff that we talked about was contingent upon Sean being here. Game show, Ted Lasso review, which the final episode's tonight, so we couldn't have done that yet. But it's coming up soon. Uh, Guardians 3, which Dave hadn't actually seen yet anyways. But still, we wouldn't have done it without Sean. We could have even done it without Dave having seen it. But then we'd be spoiling it and he saw the first two. It's complicated. Point being, we have a lot of stuff banked that we're going to talk about eventually and the game show and all that but instead it is kind of funny because it's sort of akin to what's happening in chat right now josh mentioned he has his 2004 toyota it's a truck that he got from his dad which he got from my grandfather it's a whole it's a whole setup and mike mentions like that was when toyota made stuff to last i mean my mom had a toyota corolla i think a 91 toyota corolla for like i don't know 15 years or something that's probably wrong but i remember having it forever so yeah, it's interesting how things change over the years, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're doing some retrospective stuff. Dave has no idea. I'm just bringing him along for the ride. I can be retrospective of um, my parents. Uh, you know, Lexus is a Toyota brand. They bought a 98 Lexus in 1998, and it died in 2013. So there's 15 years right there of uh, use. So that was pretty good. It hit 300,000 miles almost. Yeah. Uh, so that's not bad. Um, and... Uh, yeah, Toyota's got that had that longevity brand. Um, we'll see if it continues, but um, that's yeah. I'm set on buying cars for a while. I'm not buying anything new for a long time. <laughs> Ford Explorers, notoriously long lasting, back in the '90s and 2000s. I had one from '92 in I think 2010 ish or 2009 ish. It was not what I was meant to get. There's a whole long story that I don't know if we ever actually told in the podcast about a road trip involving God. a Subaru before that. But that vehicle, there. despite being older was it was hanging on to be clear it wasn't like it was in phenomenal shape but it ran it was reliable so there were plenty of times where that was the case i've also had cars that lasted less than a year so <laughs> yeah it's uh that story is funny because i drove a ford explorer my most of my young adult life and then when chris is like i'm in a ford explorer i'm like hmm i know all about this yeah and then you got a lexus <laughs> That was only because the Ford Explorer ended up breaking, and it was, my parents had bought a new one, and so they were like, hey, you can have this. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. No, I mean, it was, it was really great. Helpful. It was a huge improvement, especially because it had nice air conditioning. Air conditioning, period. The yeah. Ford Explorer that I drove for years did not have any yeah. for like five years, so I kind of suffered through that. Which led to the soda can incident. These are all things we'll tell some other time. Maybe we'll have Andy on the show at some point and just be like, here's, need to here's us reminiscing about things that were 20 years ago. <clears throat> <laughs> Speaking of 20 years ago... Segway. Um, this was a simple thing, but it was sort of the impetus for this episode. Over the weekend, the Fialas, so Nick and Mike and Doug were all up here. Mike's not a Fiala, but he's an honorary one. Um, they were visiting over the holiday weekend, and I showed them a meme at one point that I came across on my feed that was what Zelda was 20 years ago. And it was like a picture of what people think it was, and that's linked to the past. And then it's a picture of what it was, and that's Wind Waker. Yeah. Because Wind Waker came out in 2003. Dave and I remember this I, because we had a copy pre-ordered. You got Master Quest with it. Colorado was where we picked it. You know, it was a whole thing. So, like, you know, it, 
the fact that that's 20 years ago is sort of stunning. And I, uh, you know, I'm 38. Dave's 38. We're hurtling towards 40. But that was just one thing that made me kind of think, okay, maybe we need to look back a little bit. Not too much. I'm not, you know, when we turn 40, maybe we acknowledge it or maybe we just keep going like nothing happened. But I was like, I was in a retrospective mood, you know, having friends from high school and college looking at this stuff. And there's a few other topics I'll touch on that are why. But 20 years ago, Wind Waker is a little gag inducing. That has happened a lot. I mean, for the mere fact of like little things like you're at the grocery store and they have a little sticker on the checkout thing that says if you were born before or after this date in 2002, you cannot purchase alcohol. And I'm like, wait a minute. So if you're born today in 2002, I was a June finishing my junior year of high school. You can now purchase alcohol. Cool. Cool. I am. That's happened a lot. (laughs) I'm like 20 years ago. Yeah. Like 1995. Right. Oh no, 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 no! That twenty years ago, two thousand three. <laughs> it was like the the meme with Padme and uh, and Anakin. <laughs> yeah, two thousand three, right? And nothing, just a blank stare. Two thousand three, right? <laughs> God, the like, uh, there's there's been plenty of memes that's like that one. Like, am I the only one? Which I hate that start, but am I the only one when I think twenty years ago, I think of nineteen eighty five. Like, well, not exactly, but yeah, it's kind of that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thinking back to the 90s now, which is the era in which we were kids slash just barely starting ago. to be teenagers, is, yeah, yeah, 30 years ago, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. tough. Yeah, we had a whole episode of when I turned 30, because I was the first one on the show to turn 30, and now that was eight years ago mm-hmm. that happened. <laughs> yeah, even the show itself is sort of becoming a monolith to that, where it's like, I mean, it's 2023, so, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this. When you think back to the original radio show, it's been, I think... 13 years and that was a, 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 I think a two off there was two different times I think you and Sean were both on it mm-hmm. um, but still like the fact that the roots go that far back is both cool and terrifying Jack Rock says Wind Waker angered so many at the time now it's beloved yeah I mean I certainly remember the Zelda stuff we've talked about in the show before but man I, so many people might long for that return even some people who love Breath and Tears might still be like, I, there are certain parts of that era that I pine for. I am one of them, but I know I'm not alone on that. I I, appre- I can appreciate both. I do appreciate the real realisticness that you can pull off with the Switch versus what you could do with the uh, the Wii, because the realistic on the Wii just looked drab, as opposed to the colorful, bright Zelda look for Wind Waker. So I can appreciate both. Um, I really wish they would... As dumb as it is, re-release the HD remaster on Switch because nobody bought a Wii U. Sorry, they have people who did actually buy one, but like next to nobody bought a Wii U, so nobody got to play this remake. Remake, so I want to play it. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Oh, because that segues delightfully. Although I kind of planned this mm. with the order into a topic that came up just over the last couple of days, and that is Nintendo basically going to Valve and saying, "Hey, can you get the Dolphin emulator off of Steam?" <laughs> Now, for those of you who aren't in the loop, which may include Dave, the Dolphin Emulator is basically something that plays GameCube and Wii games. And what I mean, uh, what what's interesting about that is, of course, the idea that well, now you can play Nintendo games on the Steam Deck. Forget just Steam because that's on PC, but there's other ways to emulate games on PC. It's been the forefront of that for a long time now. But I think the main reason Nintendo did this was specifically because of the Steam Deck, because the Steam Deck is a competitor to the Switch. They're very different markets, but they're still handhold video game systems, so like, it makes sense. What I'm surprised by, and what I was going to bring up because of this, is I'm sort of on Nintendo's side. 
<laughs> Please don't hit me in the comments. I'm not a corporate bootlicker, I promise. But a lot of the consensus in the responses to this, which granted is just Twitter being Twitter and comment boards being comment boards, is fuck Nintendo. It's ridiculous. They're money grubbing. Their games aren't available half the time anyways, which is at least somewhat of a fair point. Um, and I'm like, y'all, at the end of the day, it boils down to this. They've got to protect their IPs and they can't have a competitor handheld just willy-nilly offering their games on its platform. They can't do it. And if you can't get past that point in the discussion, the ideology part of it doesn't matter. It's To me, like I don't think you're a corporate bootlicker for acknowledging the fact that corporations are there to make money. Like, yes, there are artists, there are writers who want to make art. There are artists who, out there who care about the craft and want to make the Zelda experience or Mario experience the best it possibly can be. But at the end of the day, if you're not buying the product and the company's not making money they're not going to keep making the product anymore it's really that simple so it makes complete sense that nintendo would be like hmm we're seeing a bit of our market share being taken away by a similar product yes there are different games that come with that in a different market that's targeted but if someone's going to be like hmm i've got this handheld or i've got this other handheld system which one do i want well i can play some of the old games on this system that I really love. So I'm going to stick with the nostalgia and get the Steam Deck instead of the Switch. Well, great. You just lost that at a sale if you're Nintendo. It makes complete sense. And it's their property. The fact that it was even allowed on there to begin with was a little crazy to me. I mean, I know there's back ways of doing it, but the fact that it's because known and they didn't put a cease and desist on it is kind of crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Again, I struggle with this because I want to be like, I, I mean, I've used emulators. Oh, my God, I'm going to get arrested now. You know, I, I <laughs> A lot of times it is for games I already have, and now it's just more convenient, or it's for recording software purposes or whatever. But either way, like I can't pretend like, oh, I, I don't know anything about piracy. I, I, I never, I didn't have, like, Napster back in the late 90s. or No, nah, I didn't. LimeWire. <laughs> Who used those? I did certainly didn't. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> retrospection. Exactly. LimeWire back in the day. Kazaa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... I think at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, do I agree that Nintendo's lack of offerings of its past catalog gets on the ridiculous side of things at times? I mean, we talked about the foibles of the virtual console back on the Wii, on the podcast, and the virtual console was actually pretty good. Like, yes, at the end of the day, they still didn't release as much as they should have, but it did keep people engaged with the system because every week it was like, oh, cool, what games are coming out this week that we can maybe replay for a smaller fee? Now we look at like full-blown 60 or even $70 releases and re-releases of old games, and I understand the sentiment. I really do. So I'm trying not to harp on it too much. But I'm like, again, at the end of the day, they have to protect them. You can't just... It, 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 <laughs> you can say all you want, but it's unrealistic to expect Nintendo not to fight back against this. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm surprised that it was even a thing before. Yes, you're going to have people who pirate it. You're going to have people that get around it. But it's so readily available on an easily downloaded thing like the Dolphin emulator was. Well, of course it's going to get used. It, what I can't understand is Nintendo's strategy from some of these things. Is I know they're protective of their own IP, so why don't they monetize it? Why don't I mean, right now, Switch Online has the ability you can pay for $30 a year. $20 a year, something like that, for the individual online membership. That gets you access to Nintendo games and Super Nintendo games um, and online play for different games. <clears throat> or you can pay more, I think double the price, basically, and get access to N64 and Sega Genesis games. Well, why not have another tier where you can play Wii games on there? And then they can just start raking in. Like, you want to rake in an extra $20 a month for everyone who's online who wants to play these games? You're going to make up your... 
uh, $60 game release pretty damn quickly in that sense. I don't understand it. And you, the best part is you don't have to roll it out and say, hey, you know how it used to cost $20 to be online? Well, now it costs $75 and you'll have people drop it. No, no, you can keep your $20 one if you want. But if you want to play these games, here you go. You can up yourself in the package. PlayStation just did it. I don't understand why Nintendo won't do it. It's perplexing because, as you already noted, I mean, it feels like easy money. Yes, it's not just like you have to do some work in putting into emulation to make sure things are actually ready for your specific platform. Because when you get an emulator in a free game, you can't really be super pissed off if it doesn't work properly. You didn't pay anything for it. <laughs> However, there's a little bit more that goes into it. A little bit. But the point stands that it's like, why aren't these more readily available? Especially now in the Switch era where you're talking about portability on top of all the other factors. It would be the one trump card the Switch would have. And even more reason to push this off of the Steam Deck if you go, well, yeah, now I can play that classic Wii game that I love on the go. That obviously applies to the rest of the back catalog too, SNES, N64, whatever. But if you get basically five or six systems worth, because they could throw DS games on the Switch, 3DS games on the Switch, they could go all out and put thousands of games in the catalog if they really wanted to. You would only be limited by your storage space. And I guess the internet, you if you're portable, you probably still have to be able to verify that you have the account. Whatever, fine. But the point is, it's all tailor-made, and yet Nintendo's kind of like, I guess we're content making enough money, which I don't really understand. I mean, Nintendo bucks the trend of what you expect from PlayStation and Microsoft. You know, PlayStation and Microsoft are... I just saw some meme today of the idea that Nintendo, or most video game executives, will run on this scale where it's like, okay, we have a price point here, and as time moves this way the price will decrease in proportion. And then you'll sell at a lower price that even though you're not gonna make as much money as you would have originally, you'll have a price point that more people will purchase the game at and therefore continue making money even after a period of time. Nintendo's like, no, 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 our price point is here perpetually and will never change. And to an extent on Mario Odyssey, for example, I get it. Like, is your experience on Mario Odyssey gonna be different now than it would have been in 2017 because there's been three other Mario games that have come out? No. Is the fact that Breath of the Wild right now, $60, is kind of nuts? I think so because there's a new experience that has come from there that you could, ha if you lower that price point to $30, I think you get a lot of buy-in from people who are like, oh man, I never played Breath of the Wild. Oh, that new game came out. Maybe I'll go try out Breath of the Wild now. Oh, it's half price? Great. You know, you'll have that buy-in. I don't know where the management is on that. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, I <laughs> I understand. I really do. I've tried to be sympathetic to it, and I agree with some of those points, but I'm like, even the argument of like, well, you can't find these games anywhere anymore, so like, we have to pirate them to be able to play them. I, yes. I mean, they're not available for sales, so in theory, pirating doesn't hurt that because you're not taking money out of somebody's pocket, but it's like, there are still future sales. And yes, it's stupid that there aren't... Uh, pretty much every game available, especially because the long-sighted example was the Disney Vault. We remember that from the 90s and even a little bit into the 2000s of like, for some reason, you can only buy The Little Mermaid once every five years. We don't know how or why that was a decision. Scarcity breeds demand, I guess. But at the end of the day, that was Disney's decision. If they want to hurt themselves sales-wise by creating artificial scarcity, that is their decision because they're the ones who hold the copyright, even if it's misguided. So I think it's a little bit of people needing to grow the fuck up, if I'm just being honest. I, I Again, I, I maybe I'm just going to have to love the taste of those boots, but I, 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 I'm sorry. I just don't, I'm not, I'm not aligned with it. It's not bootlicking to understand how corporate decisions aren't yours to make 
I think that's one of the biggest trends that I've despised the most of the 2020s is the fact of, oh, all corporations are evil and they deserve everything, every evil bit and anger you can throw at them. It's like, well, who provided you this iPhone right here? Oh, it's a corporation. What about the computer you're using right now? Oh, oh, you mean Dell, a corporation, HP, a corporation? These things that you buy, these things that you work for are corporations. Oh, maybe there is a point to having them. Are all of them great? Hell no. Are there a lot of despicable things that happen? Of course. But that doesn't mean that every single move by every single one is inherently evil. Jack Rock says, with the larger file size of GameCube and Wii games eventually cause a problem with the Switch, they just put all these games in the system. Well, that's why you got to be able to download them on demand. And even so, I mean, people were just talking recently... Uh, what was it? Mortal Kombat 1, I think. The specs for it came out, even though it's not the game's not coming out until the fall. And it was like 200 gigs. It's like, it's a fighting game. How on earth can it be that large? And then Tears of the Kingdom is like 15 gigs. So <laughs> Nintendo's already kind of got that part covered. I mean, the Wii was notoriously small as far as its storage capacity. It's why like a couple games like Brawl had to be on two discs. But the conversion for that wouldn't be too bad. They can't just give you access to everything. So, like, right now, when you download the Nintendo Online stuff you mentioned, you can basically put all of those games in there. It would have to be on demand. But, like, if you want to load up all your storage with classic games and then not have room for downloading current games, that could be your decision. That's not really a problem for me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I will say some of those, the, all the old games, the best part about those old Nintendo and Super Nintendo games is when you download the Nintendo Online, I'm pretty sure you just download all the games because they're, like, this big. Yeah. <laughs> they're <laughs> they megabytes. They're yeah. megabytes. I mean, when you da- not that I pirated, I never did. But when you downloaded an SNES game, we're talking like four to six megabytes most of the time. It's super easy. It's negligible nowadays of how much space that takes up. Your photos are pretty much that size nowadays. There's a whole like stoner ideology thing you could go into where it's like Chrono Trigger's a masterpiece and it fits on like the tiniest thumb drive possible these days or whatever. Like, you know, all the hard work and development and sweat and tears that were poured into that game. It was already a pretty small cartridge back in the day. And now it's like, you know, DS things were even smaller. That was Chrono Trigger was on that at one point. Now you could fit that into some microscopic size storage container. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, that's mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger. That size. I mean, the, the crazy thing is the headphones that I'm using right now have a little bit of like storage for different software and things. This would basically hold the original Mario Brothers. This thing right here. <laughs> yep. Trackbox says, my first it's... computer was an IBM that had a massive four megs of RAM. Yep. I had a... Ah. I remember buying zip disks. So since we're just going down the re- retrospective rabbit hole, a 100 meg zip disk. And the whole purpose of that was, you know, 100 megs of store. My God. It was like 70 or $80. I, 100 megs. I remember, I remember that. And remember the transition to using gigabytes in like 2004 2005 and i was like man th- there's a gigabyte hard drive like what the hell would you need a gigabyte for like oh my god and now it's like my watch has 250 like 20 you know tw- uh, 64 gigabytes on my watch it's like how how, how does this have that much storage in it mm-hmm. we're, we're <laughs> in an interesting juxtaposition here where I, i'm not gonna sit here and be like we're the best we the best but like we're going to have watched maybe the entirety of the greatest set of technological development until the next generation that has even more that just ramps up parabolically, right? Because, like, yes, I understand that TVs were mind-blowing and color TVs and telephones probably freak people the fuck out. I've read all this stuff. I get it. 
But the sheer magnitude of what we've watched in the last 30 years is pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. It's yeah, there's a different touch points. I mean, obviously we're we're in a unique position as every generation is, but we're in a unique position of the consistent connectivity. And I think that's the biggest differentiator because yeah, TVs gave a level of connect connectivity to the world because you could see events from your living room. Telephones, of course, allowed you to talk to people from wherever they were in the world. Um, radio, same type of thing. But the constant connectivity, the fact that we can pull up anything at any moment on demand, basically, and we get a little mad if it takes an extra five seconds to load because if the internet's slow, mm -hmm. it's it is mind blowing, especially from where we came from. Even when we were in college, like I was talking to uh, one of my cousins recently, just about like all the photos and stuff that they always have in college and all the different types of like stuff that they've had in their in their their high school and college years. I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I have photos from college. I have a few out there. There's a few random ones that maybe people have taken, but not to any extent of what is nowadays. I'm thinking about too, like photos again. I am supposed to bring in like a baby picture for something at work. I don't know where that is. My children, on the other hand, how many pictures do I have on here? A lot. Mm. A lot. I can pull up any of them. <laughs> Hundreds, if not thousands. I, maybe on my phone, Courtney's phone, probably more so than me, but you get the point. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, you only mentioned Chrono Trigger to set me off. Where's my remake? I mean, I know we've remade worse. That's for damn sure. I, man, how would a Chrono Trigger remake even look? Like, I don't know. I don't know if you lose some of the, the magic unless you just re-release it as it is. Like, if you remake it, you, do you go full Final Fantasy VII and make it a bigger experience? Or do you just plop out the same game? I don't even know that I would like it if they did, but I don't mind it because the original still exists. So a lot like I am with yeah. remade soundtracks and other stuff, it's like it's not going to detract from me. And who knows, maybe it opens up new avenues for storytelling. But the question is, if not soon, then when? Because eventually the people that were all involved with that, and I'm sure some have already died, are going to pass away. Like, you're going to lose some of the main creative vision visionaries behind that. So, like... Uh, if you're going to do it, I mean, no time like the present. It's already been 28 years. Yeah, I was going to say, you're pushing 30 on, 30th anniversary here on Chrono Trigger, which is, again, the mind-blowing thing of where I remember playing Super Nintendo and thinking what a mind-blowing experience Super Nintendo was 30 years ago. By the way, on the Zelda point, kind of go full circle, uh, there are people that have only played Breath and or Tears and mm -hmm. have not played other Zelda games. And there are some people who have played those first, gone back and played the older Zelda games and not liked them. I because believe they're it. Not those. I, I have been actually trying to push my son to try to play some other ones because he's played T Breath. Breath of the Wild through most of it. I, I He still can't beat Ganon. He's too young. But I, he's done a lot of it. He's playing Tears right now, trying to figure out some things. Uh, I'm curious what he would do in Ocarina of Time. I haven't bought the uh, Nintendo Switch Online for N64 uh, use yet because I really don't care about spending that much money for something when we have all these other games to play. But there was going to come a point where I'm going to end up getting it and be like, all right, Alex, have fun with Ocarina of Time. See how you do. Like, is he going to like it? Is he going to hate it? I, I don't know. It's not going to hit the same way, that's for sure. No. But is he still going to appreciate it? I don't know. 
it's going to feel slow and clunky. It's sort of like, I guess, somebody only playing Odyssey and trying to play 64. We talked about how it's like you're underwater. Sometimes literally, but most of the time just figuratively because the controls are so... I mean, they're not bad. They just don't feel as quick and responsive. Mm-hmm. It's just you hit the left arrow and then it takes that extra split second to move left. You can't jump in as quickly, which was funny because I remember like people back in the day got really good at the that feel and you could start doing backflips and side hops and attacks really quickly in Ocarina of Time. And now if you tried that after playing Breath of the Wild, you'd be like, man, what, what, is, so, what is off on this? I'm not doing something right here. Mm-hmm. So it's... Also, I'd probably hit the X button to jump, and I wouldn't jump, and I'd be pissed. Yeah, no jump. That's a <laughs> yeah, new no thing. Jump. <laughs> Couldn't jump. Long time. It was a joke. It was a meme. So uh, when I was down Chakrock in Phoenix... Is... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Chakrock is, uh, uh, agreed with us about having a port. You know, they did make it on PlayStation. They did have a port onto the original PlayStation. Uh, I don't think you can play that on a PS5 nowadays, but it did happen once. Sure, just it was so bundled know. with a Final Fantasy game. And they also it made a port of it on the cool. DS, and it had some new stuff, and it was mm-hmm. decent. <laughs> some of it was good, some of it was eh. So, I mean, there's avenues for it, but again, those are both releases that came out 10 years ago plus, so they're not really mm-hmm. serving people on the Switch anymore. You could put it on any of those. Put, I mean, I'd like to have the original. That'd be the simplest. But the other problem, of course, is the Square issue that's looming and you know nintendo and square don't get off like they used to they used to be thick as thieves and now not not so much because square is mostly sony so that's tough well, well, yep when i was down in phoenix we had some chance to visit with dave and whatnot we talked about that a little bit last week and one of the things we did was trivia we went to a bar had a trivia night did pretty well finished second with an asterisk because <laughs> we finished third and the second place team left so we got the second place prize. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good for us. Big pat on the back. We recovered from a slow start. I think we did really well after the first round. The first round we was yep. just not good. Nope. Nobody cares about that part. What I do bring it up to mention is the fact that one of the trivia questions was about Street Fighter. And specifically, it was like the 30th anniversary edition of Street Fighter, which is a bit of a mindfuck for me as well in our trend of retrospection because I played Street Fighter 2 in arcades like a lot of people did back then. Because it was the brand new hotness. When that was out, that was like the arcade machine. There were others before and after that were big. NBA Jam comes to mind. Like There's plenty of others. But it was a phenomenon. I mean, you're talking like random bodegas and gas stations had Street Fighter II cabinets. Just just that. Just the, the one cabinet in the store was that because they were so popular. The reason I bring that up is because Street Fighter VI comes out Friday. And it's interesting to me because it sort of spans most of my video gaming life. I started way back then on 2, never really played Third Strike. I know some people love it, not me. 4 was really important and saved the franchise after it had been basically dead for a decade. But that was, I think, 2009. So even that is super dated at this point because 5 has been out for almost half a decade. But I bring up 6 because I think... I ordered it on PS5 and I got the disc version because I think Sean needs to play it too. And the earlier reviews, if you've seen what's happening on Metacritic, are very good. It's 92 on Metacritic right now. So what differentiates in fighting games? Because I'm a noob. I'm terrible at fighting games. I you can you can uh, crucify me like a Korok if you if I say this poorly. But like even playing different Smash Brothers. It kind of feels the same. There's just more characters. 
I don't get it. I don't understand the difference. So I get there's different game modes, sure. But like the core experience feels very similar to me. So what differentiates in fighting games? So this is a good question because I think the reason this is doing so well is twofold. It Well, threefold. It caters to all the hardcore fans. So if you want the nuanced fighting game mechanics and spacing and footsies and all a bunch of other terms that people who don't play fighting games aren't going to recognize, it's all there still. However, the other twofold part is accessibility and features. So the trend with fighting games over the last 10 to 20 years has been, of course, you're going to have versus mode. It's what fighting games, that's the bread and butter. That's the thing. You fight another person and one of you has health at the end and the other one doesn't and they're laying on their back on the ground and that's it. But we've lost a lot of the other stuff. So like Soul Calibur 2 and 3 are among our favorites in this household because in addition to that, you know, just one-on-one fighting that you expect, you also had a story mode and you had a side mode with RPG elements and you had all these other things that made it a complete package. So that if you didn't like the head-to-head aspect as much or you didn't want to play online and fight random people, you had single-player content as well to supplement it. Six has a few different things going for it, one of which is a robust story mode with a creative character that I, it was in the demo. I got to mess with that a bit. It was really fun. But it also has some things that are making it more accessible, like modern controls. The modern controls have been a bit of a lightning rod of, cur- of um, controversy because for some people, you can basically do everything that everybody else can do with the push of one button. Instead of having to do forward, down, down, forward, and then a punch button to do a dragon punch, like the uppercut that Ryu does, you just hit like forward and punch. In some some cases, it's just punch. A certain button is mapped to that special move. So you don't have to have the input for it. You just hit a button and it does cool stuff for you. And then a handful of like really hardcore longtime fans are like, well, that's ridiculous. How come somebody else can do this the same as I can, but it takes like they can do it even more easily? And the truth is they even thought of that because you don't have access to your full move set when you're using modern. You get these moves mapped to these buttons, sort of like a Smash Brothers, where it's like you have like 15 moves, but then if you want to have a low forward medium kick, which I know sounds like gibberish, you may not have that because there's not enough buttons for it. You simplified things, which is great, so you can do all the fancy moves. You can do a spinning pile driver with Zangief and not have to do a 360 on the thumbstick. But the, the trade-off of that is you're not going to have as many moves. You can't link together combos as well. It's a long-winded way of saying this has something for beginners and veterans alike. And it's clear that for the first time with a project that I've seen in a while, long-time fans and developers have been connected to this because every little detail shows a familiarity with the series in a way that veterans are really going to like. Wow. I, you know, it's funny seeing people who are so, you know, into this game. I appreciate their ability because I have none of it whatsoever. And so, I mean, even back in the day when you and I would go to arcades, I always was like, how do you memorize? How do you remember all these things? How do you know up, you know, up, down, left, hit, punch, kick? Like, what move does what? I just end up doing this, basically. And like, I I hope I'm hitting the button right. And yeah, that's it. So, I am appreciative of people who can appreciate it. And I'm definitely the type that would be like, okay, well, this punch is mapped to this button, so I'm going to hit that button. Got it. Okay, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's going to be great. There were stories of people with the demo who did just that. They found a couple buttons that did moves that they could kind of understand at a basic level. And then, you know, for some people, it was emasculating. Oh, my! uh, this person, like, beat me and 
They don't even know what they're doing. But there were also people who were like, yeah, this was a chance to get like my girlfriend into the game. She would never have played this otherwise, but like she found a character that she liked and a few buttons that did cool stuff, and she took a couple rounds off of me. Like I was winning most of the time, but and so like for the most part, it was positively received. To be clear, there was a handful of people who pushed back on it, but. To me, it's like, even if you can just push buttons and have better moves come out than normal, because you could always button mash in a fighting game, right? But like in general, if you did that in a Street Fighter game, it's just little punches and kicks. You're not going to get a fireball. You're not going to get the uppercuts and the spinning bird kicks and the whatever, right? Now it's like, you can do the fancier moves, but it doesn't replace fundamentals. It doesn't replace like, when do you push the button? Because if you do an uppercut and it misses, guess what? You have to come all the way back down to the ground. And in that entire time as you're doing that, a seasoned player can come up and be like, cool, you can't block or do anything, ba 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 and you lose half counter, your health. Counter, counter, counter. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's not as simple as just, well, the controls got dumbed down, so now anybody can be good at Street Fighter. No, and to me, this is a perspective problem because it's like, it should showcase the gap between a beginner and a pro more because you can see what the basics get you. Here's what the next level is. Mm-hmm. Even if that level is shrunk relatively, so like, if a beginner player was a 10 before and a pro was a 100, and now a beginner player is a 70 because they can do all these fancy moves easily and the pro is still a 100, the gap between the 70 and 100 is wider than it was before, even though numerically that makes no sense. It's a logarithmic scale, basically, is the way to think of it. It's not a linear scale in that sense. Yeah, it's the difference, like to use a sports analogy, there's a difference between high school to division one sorry high school basketball to division two basketball to division one basketball to the nba it's not this it's not just a straight up it's a whoosh type of look to it like the difference of the talent level and it's the same type of idea in this so i'm really excited um there's no world even if this getting this good of reviews there's no scenario whatsoever where this is ever going to be a game of the year maybe a fighting game of the year even that's not guaranteed. Mortal Kombat 1, the remake of the first one, is coming later this year. And Tekken 8 is going to be huge when it releases. But it is really pleasing to me to see it getting this good of reviews because it's what I want to see in these games. And it's finally making a return. I'm going to get it only for the single-player mode. I will also play online and do other stuff. But that alone was enough of a sales pitch because it's like, cool, make a character, go through the story. Even if the story is a little bit above average at times, it's not like it's doing anything groundbreaking. But, like, I don't care. I get to make a character. I get to decide, like, I want him to have Guile's Sonic Boom and Ryu's Dragon Punch and M. Bison's Psycho Crusher. M. Bison's not in the game. But, like, I can make all these decisions and have fun with it on my own. And then if I want to do any online, that's an added bonus. A lot of fighting games recently, like everything Soul Calibur has done since 3, have tuned me all the way off. Like, I don't, I don't want to play those anymore because there's no single-player content. So to have both sides represented so well, I think that's awesome. I've never understood the gatekeeping that happens, like you mentioned, uh, with people who are saying, like, oh, it's too easy for people. And it's like, why do you care? Why does it matter if there's more inclusivity? Why, like, I know that sometimes you feel special if you're really good at something, but like, I don't, so what? If you're still better at it, why does it matter at that point? I, gatekeeping is something I just don't understand. If people understand it, great. If people like it, great. You should want more people to appreciate things that you like, I think. The only aspect of gatekeeping I understand is when there's something that's in a limited quantity in some way to relate it to myself. One of the examples is the disc golf boom was really good overall for the sport. No question the fact that it's bigger and better than ever, more disc manufacturers, more courses. It's almost all really good, except there are plenty of times now when you go out on the weekend and the course is just full. 
And mm-hmm. I can understand in those type of situations why people are like, well, I miss one. I could just walk out here and just play around and not have to worry about a sea of people. Those type of examples I get with gatekeeping. Otherwise, it's like, man, if you love something, why wouldn't you want as many people as possible to have a chance to love it too? Yeah. And even in those situations, yes, it is an annoyance, but that doesn't mean that you haven't forged relationships with people that play it or deepened other relationships with people by saying, hey, you want to come out and play this game with me? Because I enjoy it. You want to come out and have some fun? Like, there's been, I would have never played had it not been, I had the experience with you. So, yeah, you're not gatekeeping at all. In that instance, you're making sure more people enjoy it for that exact reason. You want to share things you enjoy. I'm the same way. Similarly, it's, some people I've played with have been like, eh, it was all right, but it's not really my jam. And that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. But at least they had a chance to try it. Mm-hmm. At least they now know that oh, I'm not really into disc golf. As opposed to, well, I've never really tried it, and I don't really know how or where to start. or what. Well, we gave it a good, the old college try. It didn't work mm-hmm. out. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to love everything, and that's okay for most mm-hmm. of us. Some people get really upset about that notion. but <laughs> Sean. Chakarok agrees with you, by the way. Says fighting games are never my that. thing, mainly because I sucked at them, but it's good for the industry if Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat come back and are really good. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we need these franchises to survive. If you're a fan of fighting games, and it's almost never been a better time to be a fan of fighting games than now, because in addition to those heavy hitters we already mentioned, you know, like Melty Blood had a big presence at Evo. We just came off of Smash having six years of service that extended the whole lifetime. Like, it's it, you're eating well if you're a fighting game fan right now. Yeah, but this continued is. success depends on these games evolving and changing for the better. And right now, it seems like we're in a spot in that industry where we were not 15 years ago. And I think if they use uh, inclusivity, if they use the ability to differentiate the best of the best from the the, ca- the casual, to have the ability to make it really easy for someone who's a newbie to come in and then have that next step level of Philly, it, you will maintain both players at that point because people generally will be okay with their level and be happy with where they are and if you can properly tier that maybe online you'll have a lack of frustration i think so one of the biggest frustrating things is when you go online and just get your ass kicked immediately mm-hmm. there's something that's really humiliating about that uh i remember i do that back to like halo when it was out back in the day halo 2 one of the first online games i ever played i remember i'd be like oh okay i played with my friends a lot i'm halfway decent at this i can do this i'd sign into halo online pop in run for two seconds get shot and be like Cool. Okay. Well, that happened. Okay. I would, uh, I'll respawn and I got shot. Like, why? Why would I even try? Like, this is not fun at all. But if you can tier it properly, great. And a lot of communities are working with that in and outside of fighting games. It's important for fighting games because of the head to head aspect. But, you know, I was fortunate that I at least dabbled with MOBAs like a League of Legends. So I have an idea about, you know, lanes and and roles and whatever, like farming. I, I, I understand last hitting minions, whatever. Like, there are so many more concepts in that than just a shooting game or a fighting game. At least the, on, the, on the surface, shooting game, fighting game are pretty basic concepts. You know, fighting game, you beat the other guy till they don't get up anymore. In a shooting game, you shoot the bad guys and hopefully you shoot them more than they shoot you. You can say, well, we have mobiles or take the enemy base. It's like, yeah, but the way you do that is a lot more complicated than that one sentence does. So, I mean, you're right. Because yeah, the most, I, as much as we remember the Xbox Live days of, you know, 13-year-olds in their mom's basements talking shit and saying the N-word on Xbox Live chat... It's even worse now if you're trying to get into really niche types of games. I imagine Battle Royals are like that too. Haven't played a ton of them. But same idea where it's like now the curve is steep 
So if you don't have a tiered ranked system that can protect players from that, because in a MOBA, but in particular, because it's team-based, not only do you get shit on by your opponents, but then your own team starts shit-talking you too because they are toxic and they don't like losing, so they want to they surrender after 10 minutes and they call you an absolute loser. So, boy, entry barrier can be tough if you're not familiar with one of these. Uh, this is a very random memory, but we're in retrospect and, uh, retrospective, so I have to do it. Uh, one of the only times I really got into online play was, strange enough, a college football game in 2008. Uh, there was a dynasty system that you could set up where you would play, uh, you'd join in with like 12 other people, 11 other people, so a 12-team league, and you pick whatever college football team you want. And if you played someone in your in the league, you'd have to meet up and have a time to play against them and actually have an online game. If you played a computer, they said, okay, you have to have your game done by X amount of time this week, and then we'll move on to the next week. I never have won those games. Every time I ever play somebody in Madden in college football, they kick my ass up and down the field. Like I couldn't do anything for whatever reason, that game I got pretty good at and I was able to play and actually beat a couple people in that league. And I was like, Yes, this is awesome. I'm like on top of the world. I had one game. It was a last second field goal that I made to beat this team that was number one in our in our our group. And I was just like, my hands were shaking the whole time. And it uh, it was a great feeling. And then I look back and be like, I had uh, it was fun. It was great. This is not an accomplishment whatsoever. So it's funny how people take it so seriously. But I understand it in the moment how serious it is. Yeah, because, so, I mean, at least right. you've tasted that success, so you can understand why, for people who really have more time to dedicate to it, you know, I, it, I totally get the rush. I mean, we've been playing Gunbound for 20 years now, and it's now in the form of Dragonbound. You can play it for free online. It's a Worms-esque game. And for a while there, we played enough of it to where I felt like I was pretty damn good at it. Like, we could still take losses here and there, but for the most part, I'm like, I'm pretty good at it. Like, I'm pretty nice. And for a while, I was like, cool, I can do that. And now I look at the game, and I'm like, well, I don't have the time to pour into them <laughs> to get to a top, top, top level. I can become good at something, for sure. But the time to be like, I want to be a grandmaster. Well, yeah, I, mm, probably not with my free time these days. That's how I feel about Tetris now. It's like, I can routinely finish top 10, top 5 on Tetris 99. If I decide to pop that in, I'm routinely finishing up in the top 10. Am I winning every match? No. Am I, like... Am I winning even a high percentage? No, but it happens every once in a while. But there are people out there who are just like, yeah, you're a lot better at this game than me. I'm probably in the 90 to 95th percentile of Tetris players out there because I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm the, the, that gap again between your 95th and 99th percentile is monumental. Well, the last thing is I can also be content with that. Yeah, exactly. Because if care. I really like, wanted to, if I really wanted to take the time, I could still salvage it. You know, if it was the one thing that I devoted my free time to, I could still probably do it if I just loved something. If I loved some kind of multiplayer-based game as much as I loved Persona 5, maybe that would still be the case. But, you know, as it is, I still like being able to kind of dabble with stuff. Like, I'm playing through Tears of the Kingdom right now, but it's not like whatever free time I get, I'm like, I gotta go put up Tears, I gotta put up Tears. Some nights I play something else. I'm playing NHL 23 right now a bit. I'm, uh, I'm playing Crab Champions on Steam right now. We're having fun with that. Like... I like to dabble. I, I don't really want to hyper-focus on one game anymore because in some ways, while I enjoy the success that comes with it, it also opens the door to uh, frustration if you really are trying to reach that high of a level. You know, I even think back to poker where it's like, for a while there, I was playing poker pretty seriously. And I was pretty good at it. But like every now and then you get a bad run of cards and you go, man, I fucking hate this. This sucks. And I don't, why am I even playing this game anymore? And it's like, well, if you're not enjoying it, then you've missed the boat entirely. 
Yeah, I've uh, I get that because I've kind of had that where when I do have some free time, it's like, should I play Tears of the Kingdom? I just have Last of Us 2. I sometimes just want to play Tetris. Uh, sometimes I watch TV shows. So there's like, a lot of things that I I get that because if you run into a problem, especially in a game like Tears of the Kingdom, where it's like, okay, I'm I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. I could pull up a guide and look through it and get through it pretty quickly, but like at the moment, I don't want to do that. So am I just going to bang my head and take an hour and a half of the only free time I have to solve this one puzzle? I don't want to, but maybe. And so yeah, I can get that frustration part of it. I think what's most frustrating, honestly, is that... Sorry, I'm doing a work response now. Oh, no. You're multitasking. There's... Yeah, I, I don't one... know how you do that. It's, it's not easy. Um, at the end of the day, I'm like, look, I don't have as much free time as I used to. So I've kind of talked about it on the show before where it's like I value the more casual gaming experience. Not, you know, Bejeweled 3 casual, but things that I can play in a shorter span that don't require that commitment. Because if I'm sitting down to play Tears, like you said, I'm, I'm not doing that for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Even though I can because of the Switch and just being able to kind of power off wherever, and that's great, I'm generally going to sit down to play that for an hour plus. I'm not doing that for 15 minutes or in between a work meeting or whatever, right? But I can, I used to fire up a game of Rocket League in that time. A quick little 10-minute match of Rocket League. Cool, that's what I had time for that, and then I'll go make lunch, and I'll get back to work. So I still cherish those long-form experiences, like a Persona 5 or a Tears of the Kingdom. Like I, I want those to continue to exist because I love that. But I'm not the type of person anymore who's going to be like, every free moment, I am playing this game, where I would have done that 20 years ago. It is a part of me that misses that. I will say, because especially seeing stuff in social media where people are talking about the, uh, you know, the end of the game or all these things that you run into. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to know. Please mm-hmm. don't tell me. I mean, my part of the my uh, I know my son likes to see different. You know, he does like watching some video game streamers and, you know, we're obviously monitor what he watches. But there's a couple of video game streamers that are fine out there and they've been streaming Tears of the Kingdom and stuff like that. So, of course, the YouTube channel now is recommending Tears of the Kingdom. And so I'm like, I've seen a couple screenshots of stuff that's later in the game. I'm like, damn it. I don't want <laughs> to know. Uh, this is frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But hey, that's where we're at in life. And while I could be bitter about that, the fact is, you know, I don't I don't really mind it because I still feel like I get to do enough. I'm not yeah. so pressed for a time, and I, and I would never get myself like if I ever got so pressed by my job where I'm working like 90 hour weeks, I'm done. Like if it if it just wipes out any free time, I'm out. See ya. So luckily, I don't think I'm ever going to get to a point where it's like, well, I don't have any time at all. I mean, even you with all the demands on your life, you still find time here and there, and maybe not as much as you'd like, or certainly not as much as you used to. But it's not like you're ever like, well, I'm never going to play Tears of the Kingdom. So uh, fuck me, I guess. It's uh, a lot of times it's at the expense of sleep Um, by last weekend uh, or two weekends ago, I guess Courtney went to a concert and I got the kids to bed at nine o'clock and uh, she got home at like 1 a.m. And so I'm like, well, that's four hours. Let's Hmm. do this. (laughs) Yeah, I could have gone to bed earlier, but nope, four hours. Here we go. And then she came home and fell asleep on the couch. I'm like, well, now I got another hour. So I played till like two in the morning. It's like I was tired the next day. But I got five hours of Tears of the Kingdom in. And it was probably worth it because you're not going to do that every night. You'll get the sleep back eventually. You might have felt it a little the next day. But, you know, honestly, I kind of missed that more than anything, like the midnight release, play it when it first becomes available type stuff. I have only done that for the biggest of stuff the last few years. Um, It might even happen with Street Fighter. I am pretty excited for that. But, again, that's also like when I'm going through the story mode, I can play as much of that as I want. So, you know, I can boot that up and play a couple hours and then be like, cool, and then get back to it later. 
I do miss that a little bit too. Like I remember even for the Wii itself, sitting in line waiting for that yeah. to come out, and like there's some cool stuff with that. But I also don't miss it. Like I, <laughs> midnight releases are cool, and I'm I'm glad people still enjoy them. I'm 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 good. I my, the time is money thing has never been more true. The funny thing about midnight releases now is that they're almost a little different for everybody because it used to be very localized. Hey, your store opens once the clock hits midnight. Your local store, you can walk in. I went home from hanging out with you guys on May 12th when Tears of the Kingdom came out, and it was 10 p.m., and I'm like, oh, hey, I can play it now, because I had already downloaded it onto the system, and I opened it up, and I'm like, cool, I'm playing Tears of the Kingdom. It's May 11th now. I don't have to wait until the store comes out and go to the store and buy it. I already have it on my system because I downloaded it. Yeah. It's a little different feel. So that was a trip down memory lane. Mostly video game related. Sean will have been somewhat sad to have missed it, but he also won't listen to this, so he won't know that he did. I mean, he could theoretically be listening to this. He could go back. He could tell us what he thinks. That has happened zero times in 577 episodes. And I don't expect zero. this week to be different, but who knows? No. He might surprise us next week and be like, I have beef, and then bring a whole list on his phone about all the beef he has and go through it. I would welcome that. I would welcome that because I, right? I would love to shoot down all of his beef. That's right. It's not going to happen. No, I actually don't think he'd have a ton with this one, but he does like video game stuff. So, But, you know, the show goes. We get, we get, if we're going to hold all the other stuff for him, we can't hold everything. Like, no. got to talk about something. <laughs> Thanks for uh, the distraction while licking my wounds from my Celtics failing to show up for a game set on their home court. Yeah, I had I actually thought about you briefly, Jack Rock, when I was watching that game, and I was like, well, this feels like an appropriate end. You claw all the way back from 3-0 and then shit the bed in game seven. Look. I feel extra bad for Celtics fans, Jack Rock, you you, and speci you specifically, but like Celtics fans in general, you got your gut punch in game three where you're like, oh, fuck, we're down 3-0. We're not coming back. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, no one's ever done it in the past. And then you win game five, and you're like, okay. Oh, sorry, game four. It's like, okay, well, we took one. That's great. And then you win game five in the home floor, and you're like, okay, well, kind of expected that. We'll probably lose game six. And then you win game six in the most epic form pat mm -hmm. of imaginable where you save your season on a last second moment you're like oh my god we're gonna do it we got this oh my god and you have confidence vegas favored you by seven in this game and then you lose. and then you get your blown out and it's just like you got punched in the gut twice in the same series yep i'm and, sorry and i'm gonna have to figure out how if they really want to offer 300 million dollars to Jalen brown and we'll have some conversations <laughs> about that during the offseason because, you know, there are plenty of other teams in a similar boat with the Supermax and how it's actually kind of maybe not the best. Um, <laughs> but either way, yeah, a gut punch. I would feel bad for Boston, but they've had plenty of success, so fuck them. Yeah. Not you, Chuck yeah. Rock. You're cool. You support the show, but fuck the rest of Boston fans. And seeing Bill Simmons' despondent face was pretty funny. I... I mean, in some ways, yes, it was funny because he is—he can be very boisterous. But also, I felt for him in that moment because you know he gives a shit, yeah, and that's the he, thing I can say for him. In his defense, sure, like he's never wavered on that stuff, so like that—that that is fair. But it was also just kind of funny, and all the—all the, all the memes about Succession and him were also pretty funny. I don't even watch Succession. I've watched the first couple episodes, um, and I know what happens in the finale now. So go me, I guess. Um, but anyways. So yeah, we commiserate because we have also had a, a, a team not show up on a game seven on their home floor. Um, so that's why we're Diamondbacks fans now. We didn't even coordinate this. We just are. We're Diamondbacks fans. Even though I don't care about go. the Diamondbacks. I just wore it. They're doing well this season and I yeah. don't care. It's cool. <laughs> Good job, guys. Keep it up. Maybe I'll watch if you make the playoffs or something. And the changes Maybe. in baseball seem like a positive. Cutting 30 minutes off the game time. Great. Big stolen bases because the bases are literally big. Great. Like... 
I for all the hardcore fans there, like ah, Rob Man for ruining the game. I'm like, well, I mean, at least people are watching again. It's more important that the game maintains rather than you know going dying basically, which is what um, it was doing. But just like we talked about with gatekeeping, some people would almost rather it die than become something that they don't like anymore. Then you just got to deal with it. I have this argument with Sean. If it changes and you don't like it, then you have the memories of what you had before. It sucks. You're disappointed. No. You but rage, you had the memories. You rage, you boycott. Yeah, of course. You refuse to buy Bud Lightweight. That's a different thing. Shit. Oh, no. oh, I've opened a can of worms. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Boycotts are for snowflakes unless it's something you support. Okay. Anyways. Uh, yeah. mm, uh, mm, uh, anyways. Uh, we better we better <laughs> cut the show off. Get out. Eject. Yeah. <laughs> eject. Eject. All right, so that's the end of the episode. Next week, one of those things we talked about, I will see. It'll be a review or a game show, something or other, but we'll figure out what's happening then. We probably won't have an episode July 4th, but that's a month from now, so there's no other programming notes. We'll just see you next time. We're approaching the top five in our Zelda list on the YouTube channel, so go check that out. The best Zelda songs, that's been going well, and that's kind of it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. In between episodes, you can find us at our website, objectionnetwork.com or youtube.com slash objectionnetwork for new videos like the Zelda stuff five to seven days a week. We'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.